because it is a lot of flu and sickness going around. But I just want you to turn to your neighbor and at least wave and say hello this morning because we are so glad to have you here.
that you're here this morning. Welcome to Crossroads. And this time I'd like to ask you to please pass the friendship folders down the aisle. We're certainly glad that you're here. Our mission is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And God is just doing that all over our church. We're, we're thanking God for the way people are coming to Christ. God is moving. He's growing us deeper in our faith and wider. More and more people are coming to Christ. And so we're excited about the things of God and what he's doing here in our church. Glad that you are part of what God is doing here. Uh, just a few announcements today. We have our, our, on this Wednesday, we have our Lego race. And that is going to be in the gymnasium. Connect students will not meet this week because of the, of the Lego race. And uh, we, we will, we're just all going to go over there. I think there are over 80 people signed up so far. And so if uh, you have any questions about the Lego race, you, ju- you can't just show up and plan to race. You have to pre-register. So you need to check downstairs in the, uh, in the, in the Canopy Kids area there with their check-in, and they can help you out if you can still get in the race. I don't even know what their possibilities are. So please uh, stop, uh, stop down there if you're interested in there. But either way, come on up and just enjoy the fun. I think they always have a snack shop open over there, and it'll just be a fun night. And uh, just watching these families race their cars, we're excited about it. They're using Legos instead of the old pine wood because now the kids actually make the cars. It's kind of fun, all right? Instead of a dad's race, it's really a kid's race. You got the point there? All right, so anyhow, so that's coming up Wednesday night here at 6.30. And uh, God is just moving all over the church right now. Our life groups, God is doing great things in life groups. I want to encourage you, if you're not into a life group, please get into one. Stop by our life group table afterwards. Rhonda or somebody will be at the table in the back of the auditorium. Please sign up, and we will help you get into a group. We have roughly about 100 people in groups right now, and every time I get around and hear somebody tell me about their group, they're just ecstatic. They're, they can't believe that uh, the community that's happening. So these aren't just Bible studies. They're, we're getting together. We're opening God's Word for sure, but we're also doing life together. We're learning, learning each other's names, learning each other's burdens, and bearing one another's burdens, and really developing some friendships biblical community. So if you're not involved in one, may I encourage you, just go sign up there. I realize it's a new concept for our church, but it's an exciting concept, and God's doing some great things here today. All right, and uh, today I'd like to just share with you a letter that we received. You know, our birthday gift to Jesus offering, and we're we're just so elated that God would supply $113,000 to go around the world. Uh, We asked for 80, and God brought in 113. And so with that, we were able to go to each overseas missionary and say, here's an extra thousand. 
So one of them was a, 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 a this is actually a national pastor in the island, in Haiti, the country of Haiti. And uh, I'm just going to read to you. I, I got home last night after the Saturday evening service, and I went home and I looked up my email, and there was this email. You know, Gmail has changed the world, you know. He, this guy has a Gmail account, and he sends it to me from his Gmail account in Haiti. And I received this at 10 o'clock last night. He says, I hope my email will find you the members of your family and our brothers and sisters at Crossroads doing well. In the name of all my orphans, I thank all the brothers, sisters, your family, and you for providing $3,000 intended for my orphans to eat. When I read that, I just stopped and I shed a tear. I said, oh God, thank you that, that you would use our church to feed orphans. And so here's the people on the ground these are national pastors. These are Haitian pastors, him and his wife, sending us a letter and saying, thank you. We can feed the orphans. He says, may the Lord bless you all forever. I will ask them to pray for you in their everyday prayers. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. By his grace and mercy, Pastor Fritz and his wife, Francine Voltaire. I want to encourage you. What a, what a powerful thing. Can we give God a hand for that? Only God could do that. You know? God, God has uh, blessed you, and through your generosity, we've been able to bless around the world. And I want you to think how powerful it is that this man is going to be working with orphans to pray for the church in Pittsburgh. Isn't that awesome how God has his network? It's way bigger than we can ever imagine. And uh, I shared with you earlier this year that when we give, we create more blessing. Not only are we blessed and we give out of a thankful heart, but look at these orphans in Haiti that are saying, God, you are here today and we have food today. Let's give our God another hand. What a great God we serve. Awesome God. Awesome God. At this time, I'd like to ask our ushers to come forward as we receive our morning offering. And uh, I'd just like to ask you to pray for a few families in our church right now. This has uh, been, been a little heavy season this year. We have a number of people who went on to be with the Lord. Uh, just a tough winter here. And so I want to ask you to pray for Sandy Walshack's family. Sandy's here today and her family. And uh, if you would just remember Sandy's family is on the passing of her mother. She went home to be with the Lord last Monday and, uh, and, and was buried on Friday. So uh, we, wanna, we just want to lift them up in prayer. Rich Shervon, he lost his mother. And uh, she was buried on Friday as well. So I'd just like to ask you, just, just remember these families in prayer because it, it's, that's one of the toughest things you can go through is to, to lose a parent. And I'm just going to ask you to pray for them. And then also, uh, I was out at the, uh, at the hospice facility yesterday with, uh, with Lois Giesman. And Lois Giesman is in her final days as well. That's Bob Giesman's mother. So if you would remember um, the Geesman family, I don't know how long, how long, whatever God's doing, he'll call her at that time, but uh, things are starting to wind down for her. So if we could just lift these families up before the Lord today. If you think of them through the week, just, uh, just, just pray for them. Maybe you know them uh, through, you know, send them a note. Uh, those notes go so long way when we encourage the family of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Father and our God, we come before you. We thank you this morning, God. I lift up the burdens of our church family, Lord. We love our family, God, and um, we're thinking of the, the Walshack family today, Lord, for Sandy, the Ankrams, Lord. 
I, I just pray for that whole family, Lord. They're so dear to us. We've had such good relationship with that family for so many years, Lord. And uh, Sandy, being a, a faithful member here, Lord, I just pray for that family, God. You said, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. So I ask that you'll be with them, Lord. God, for Rich Charvon, been part of this church for many, many years, and the passing of his mother, I pray that you'll be with Rich and his family, Lord. And may they just sense your presence in a powerful way. Uh, God, speak into these families and carry them as only you can do. And Lord, for Lois Geisman, Lord, we know that she's in, in her final days, Lord, and a faithful member of this church ever since I remember, Lord. And uh, I just thank you for the Geisman family. Thank you how that you worked a great miracle in their life, bringing them to you. And uh, God, I just pray that you'll be with the Geisman family as they are, they are hanging in the balance of life with their mother right now. And so God, I just ask that you will just minister to these families. God, uh, you can touch their hearts way more than we can. And so God, help us as a church family to surround them. But also, Lord, we ask for your presence to be with them. Nothing greater than to know that God is with you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to give this morning, Lord. As we pause and we give to you, Lord, we, we bless your name. You've blessed us, and now we get to bless you. And we honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.
talking about Samson, the life of Samson. Uh, he was one of the judges. If, uh, if you weren't here last week, you can always go online and get caught up with our, our series online. Go to our crossroadsministries.com. It's at the bottom of the back of your bulletin. Just hit messages and you can get caught up on some of those series. But uh, what, what an awesome thing to look at some history here. Last week I started out and I shared with you that some people have an idea that Samson was, uh, was just uh, an allegory, something nice for us to learn a, a lesson from. And I want to share with you it's way beyond that. It's actual history. It's real history. The author of Hebrews, several hundred years later, refers to Samson. This is real stuff that really happened. And so we're, we're, we see here about Samson and how that, um, how that he was a judge. It comes from the book of Judges. If you have your Bible, head over to Judges 14, and that's where we're going to pick up today. But uh, the, in the book of Judges, when you think of a judge, honestly, we think of a guy with a, a gavel and a black gown. Well, that's not what these judges were. You can refer to them as deliverers. So they were the, uh, the deliverers. And so the children of Israel would stray away from God. 
God would allow the enemy to come and, and uh, oppress them. God would call a deliverer to, uh, to free them from the oppression. And so Samson was the sixth judge, and uh, he's known for his strength. You guys all know Samson for his strength. And I think everybody knows about Samson and Delilah. If you know anything about Samson, that's where you think about his strength at the end of his life. You think of uh, Delilah's betrayal, and, uh, and that's what you think of. Well, there's four chapters dedicated to Samson. Four chapters, Judges 13 through 16, and we get to read all those. So today, we're going to go over to Judges chapter 14. Last week, we looked, and we said that, that Samson was, uh, he's actually a pretty good-looking guy. Uh, Samson was Mr. Muscle Man. He's the strongest man in the world. If he were alive today, he would be on the front cover of Sports Illustrated or GQ, all right? And uh, good-looking guy, muscles everywhere. Remember, I told you about man bun guy, all right? You can go look him up online, man bun guy. He's got the hair, he got the muscle, and he got the fame to go with it. That's what Samson was. He was the most famous guy around because of his strength, and, uh, and he was sought after. So look here at Judges chapter 14. He's about 20 years old. Last week we said that he, he had a struggle with lust. And so he leaves the, the, uh, the, his family. They, they were supposed to marry within other Jewish people, other Israelites. And he goes four miles away to the next town. He says, I'm going to marry into the Philistines. And he walks down and he picks out a Philistine woman and says, I want her. I want her bad. Dad, go get her for me. So he follows through, and he ends up, uh, uh, ends up marrying her. We're going to look at that today. Judges chapter 14, verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he, as he might have torn a young goat. Now, I want you to think about that. Maybe it was common to tear goats apart, huh? He says, as he might have torn a young goat. Uh, he comes along. He's making bad decisions in his life. He's going down, and he's heading back to, to marry this, this gal who he shouldn't be marrying. God told him, don't marry people that are not going to be worshipers of me. And so the, these people, they were from the, the Philistines. They had false gods. They had all kind of problems in the area of worship. And God says, don't go there. So he's going down there, and on his way there, he comes. This lion comes and comes after him and attacking him, roaring lion. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. I want you to remember that phrase because you see it several times in reference to Samson. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So verse six, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So that he tore this, the lion apart with his bare hands. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the, with the woman, and he liked her. So here's what's happening. He's on his way in, uh, on his way into the uh, to to plan a wedding, continue this relationship. And as he goes in, this lion. Now, now just imagine this man wrestling with a lion. This was no young goat, as the scriptures tell you. This was not something easy. This was like nobody could wrestle a lion. But Samson, with all of his strength, and you could ju just visualize this, this lion is roaring, and now he's, he's engaged in a wrestling match. He's rolling around, and then finally he rips him apart with his bare hands. And then he walks on. He continues on the journey. Verse 8, Judges 14, 8. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, 
he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. So he's got this ripped up dead lion laying there. Uh, so so he, he had went down, and then he's going back. He's heading back in for the wedding preparations now. And as he goes back in, he, uh, he sees that lion. So remember, where he lived to where the Philistines were at were about four miles. So he, he's making this journey back and forth. He comes back in on the journey again to, to see his, his, uh, his, his wife-to-be getting ready for the wedding, and he finds the lion. So he says, oh, man, there's that lion that I killed. Nobody knew I killed him. Then he sees, what's it say here? It says it was, to look at the lion's carcass, in it was a swarm of bees and some honey. So, so this lion is ripped open, and, and the ecosystem, the bees are coming, so the bees have come, a swarm of bees, and there's honey all in this, in this dead lion. And so what does he do? Look what he says he does. Which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Why did he tell, not tell them? What, why was it such a big secret that he killed the lion and now he's eating honey out of the lion? Why was it such a big secret that he couldn't tell them? Because he was under the Nazarite vow. As we looked last week, the Nazarite vow was a vow of consecration. You could take a vow of consecration for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days for a period of time. But Samson, his was a life vow. From the time he was born... Uh, before he was born, the angel uh, came and told him about, to- told the mother that he is to be under the Nazarite vow for God is going to do great things. And so a Nazarite vow was just a, a vow of consecration, being set apart unto the Lord. And there were three things that you couldn't do under the Nazarite vow. Number one, you couldn't drink of the vine. Okay, in other words, you couldn't drink alcohol, no wine, you couldn't get drunk. So don't get drunk. Remember that. That's going to be important as we continue to read. The second thing was that you couldn't touch anything unclean. You couldn't get near an unclean. And a dead body was an unclean thing. And then you were supposed to not cut your hair. And that's what you all know Samson for. You know Samson by his hair. You know that he didn't cut his hair. And when he cut his hair, he lost his strength. But this is the why. He didn't cut his hair. It was an inward sign of an outward decision that he was being consecrated to the Lord. So as you look at this, the first thing that he does here, he sees the dead lion that he killed, which, by the way, according to the law, he should have went directly to the, uh, to, uh, to, for ceremonial cleansing to the priest. He didn't. He just says, I'm not going to tell anybody. And then he comes back to this dead lion, and he knows, I'm under this vow. I'm not supposed to get near a dead body. Listen, it was so bad, they wouldn't even go to the funerals of, of somebody that passed when you were in a vow of consecration. So here he goes. There's a dead lion, and he remembers that he killed the lion. Now it's got honey in it. He takes his hand, and he scoops the honey out. And what does he do? He violates his Nazarite vow. Nobody will notice. Nobody will know. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm not telling my mother, my father. I'm not telling this woman I'm marrying. I'm not telling anybody because that's our little secret. This honey's good. And look what it further says. Not only did he scoop it out and, and, and he ate it, he rejoined his parents and he gave them some and they ate it too. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. There's so much in that verse. He he did this violation and then not only did he violate but now he spreads the violation. 
He spreads it. He doesn't tell him. You know, he doesn't come and say, hey, dad, you want some honey from the lion, the dead lion? No, he says, man, look at this honey. This is so good. And his mother's thinking, oh, we did such a fine job raising Samson. I just wish you wouldn't be marrying this Philistine woman. Little do they know that Samson is trading. He's dealing with the enemy within. Not only did he deal with lust, now he's dealing with, is God really mean business? I made a vow before the Lord. Is this really mean business? Why did God, well, you know, it really isn't going to hurt anybody. Nobody's going to get sick. It's fresh honey. There's all these medicinal purposes for honey, right? And he's going through and he's rationalizing. Look what he continues to do. Verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman. You know what they're doing? They're making wedding preparations. So his father goes down with him to see the woman. And Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. He made a feast. The word for feast here is a Hebrew word. It's uh, mishta. And what, that, what it means is a party, and it means a drinking party. So you can read that, and you can say, it wasn't just a feast. It was a drinking party. This was a, let's get the keg. I am partying because there's a wedding going on here. And as was customary, they got the keg, and they was partying, right? So they're having a good old time. Let's go back to the Nazarite vow. Very first thing, don't drink of the vine. No alcohol. He violates it. He's getting drunk. He is participating in areas that he shouldn't be. He violates the dead body. And so the only thing that he hasn't violated of his vow yet is his hair. He's got this long hair. Mr. Man Bun Guy. He's got all the women to prove it, right? And all the women are flocking to him because he's got muscles and hair. Wouldn't it be nice to have one or the other, you know? Uh, he had them both. He had, I mean, these women were flocking to him. And now he picks out the bride that's not even according to what he ought to be doing because God said, don't marry those that didn't worship me. It was very important. Now his father went down to see the, the, the woman and Samson made a feast there as was customary for bridegrooms. Verse 11, when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. So when he got there, he gets 30 friends all these new friends. Uh, his wife's a Philistine, so 30 of the Philistines come out. 30 men. It's like the big bachelor party, okay? And so these 30 men, and they're coming out, and they're having a good time. They're drinking, and the party's rolling on. And look at what Samson decides to do. Not only did he violate the Nazarite vow, now he is going to, he's going to test it. Uh, verse 12, let me tell you a little riddle. Samson says to them, if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. In other words, he says, listen, um, if, if, you can't, if you win, I'm going to give each one of you two outfits. You're getting the linen garments and then you're getting another set of clothes. So he's giving them all these clothes. 30 men, I'll take care of it. That'll be something that I've got to pay. But if I win, each one of you got to take care of me. And I get 30, I'm getting a whole new wardrobe out of this deal. You ever watch Jeopardy? You know, what is? And so look, look what he says here. He says, tell us your riddle, the men say to him. Tell us your riddle, let's hear it. Verse 14, he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Reminds me just of Jeopardy. 
Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now remember, nobody knows about the lion. You do because it's several thousand years later and we're reading it. We're reading the history. By the way, you think something goes unnoticed. One day they may write it in public for you. <laughs> Uh, look, look, look what happened. Samson didn't know. He, 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 nobody knew what was going to go on. And now we have a record of it. Tell us your riddle, they said. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. Three days, they're racking their brain. Three days, they're like losing their mind. How in the world can this be? Uh, what, what's he talking about? And they're, now they're, imagine, you know, men are highly competitive. Have you ever noticed that? You know, just get a couple guys together and have a competition. Uh, men love to compete. Men love to win. And men love, uh, men love to win and men hate to lose. Uh, you, know, you know that little, uh, that little game we played at the picnic with the beanbag, cornhole? Okay. Um, it's amazing. I've seen grown men really get angry at that game. A beanbag going through a little hole. It's like I, I know some men that won't play it because they're so afraid of losing. All right? Uh, it, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, open up the basketball court, man. We've got some serious competition going on. Uh, and open up the table of Jeopardy. And that's what happened here. They're playing Jeopardy, and this game is about to get interesting. So tell us your riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? You want to get a man upset? Make his wife upset. And that's what happened here. They, they said, well, all right, we got seven days. We're three days into it. On the fourth day, they come, they get, they get Mrs. Sampson. And Mrs. Sampson is, uh, this is the new bride. And she, she is not going, taking well the threat of they're going to kill her. We're going to burn you and your dad. We're, we're taking you guys out. Did, are you trying to rob us? I thought you really loved this guy. Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given, me pe- you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I, I want you to imagine this, this, this tension between this husband and wife. Here's Samson. He's got this new wife, and now he's got this tension. You don't love me. Do you ever have anything like that? Any family tension? Any family pressure? You don't love me. You don't care. If you cared, I'd be able to get that car, right? You know? And so uh, this is where they're at. If you love me, you would tell me the secret. I'll never forget. Uh, and, and look what he says here. He, he says, I haven't even explained it to my father and mother, so why would I explain it to you? I'll never forget whenever uh, we were first married. I got married here right on this stage. Uh, it's been, it'll be 24 years this summer. Whoo, all right. We're moving right along. And, uh, and we went down to the library fire hall, and that was where our reception was. So I have my new bride, and, you know, they announced, Mr. and Mrs. Ken Barner, whoo, you know, for the first time ever. And we're coming in, and my, my bride is right in front of me. And I, I did something that I'll never forget. <laughs> I tripped on her gown. And let me tell you why I'll never forget that, because she turned around and she gave me this look of death. And I'm thinking, I'm not even an hour into this. How am I going to make it for the rest of my life, okay? This tension was not pretty. And I'm like, I mean, she was mad. 
It took her about seven minutes to get over it because she was marrying the best man in the world, all right? So, so she, she took her about seven or eight minutes to get over it, but I'll never forget that. I was like scared. Samson has to deal with this for seven days. This woman is crying. Why don't you care? Verse 17, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. I couldn't imagine that. You want to talk about tension? Happy wife, happy life, folks, okay? There was no happy wife, and his life was not going to be happy. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him, she kept saying, oh, honey, don't you love me? You can't even share your deepest secrets with me. So in turn, she explained the riddle to her people. He tells her, she now on the seventh day, so this is in the morning of the seventh day, she goes and she tells these people because she's afraid of getting her house burned down. She's afraid of death. She's afraid of her, her dad's death. Verse 18, before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And they got the answer to the jeopardy. They come to him, and look what he says. He said, Samson said to them, Had you not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Now, folks, I want to give you some advice here. <laughs> Don't ever call your wife a heifer, okay? He says, and obviously this is in riddle terms. He says, Had you plowed, had you not been plowing, had you not been pressuring my wife, you would have never got this. You would, be, you would be losing. And so look what he does. He responds. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in, in power. I want you, there's that phrase again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. Man, we love power. Women love power. Everybody loves power. But men especially, we're drawn to power. We, we, want to, we, we like to conquer. We love to see these heroes of the Old Testament like this. He was drawn to power. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon. He went to another place. He struck down 30 of their men. He kills 30 Philistines. Stripped them of their belongings and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Samson says, he's mad. He says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to go out. And he kills 30 people. And he takes their garments and he says, here, you won. And then the end of verse 19, burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. Burning with anger. Men, this is one of the danger zones that we have to deal with. Anger. We're meant to roar. We're the lion. And we're meant to roar. But we're not meant to devour. And I want to encourage us as men, as we lead our families, as we lead our homes, to learn how to deal with anger. I'm going to give you a few thoughts here in just a, a few moments about anger. But I want to show you here that this man here, Samson, he could have had so many different things in his life. Things could have been so different. Yes, the power of God was upon him. God will continue to work his plan despite your mistakes. Despite your inability to make good decisions, the plan of God will not be thwarted. Can I hear amen on that one? God will not stop his work because of your mistakes and your failures. But may I share this with you? Samson, had he had, he had this area of anger under control, could have probably experienced a decent family life. 
could have probably de- uh, probably experienced some some higher impact of, of the of the life that God had called him to to that abundant life that He's called you and I to. So as we deal with anger, we we got to come and we have to give it to the subjection of God. Samson's wife was given to the friend who had who had attended him at his wedding. So what happened was Samson storms off in anger, goes running home to his dad's house. So the festivities are all going on. He, the, the groom is gone. And so what does, the, what does the father of the bride do? The father of the bride goes, listen, I, I agreed to this wedding. I've thrown everything I got into this, and I will not be humiliated. Honey, you're going with the best man now because they think Samson is just long gone. And so he loses his wife. And I want you to read that with me because from verse, from verse 19 to 20, he burns with anger and loses his wife. Do you realize when we burn with anger, we lose relationships? You may win the battle, but you lose relationships. And this is an important principle for us to understand. Anger will destroy. Listen, there, there's, there's times that we have to be righteously angry. Jesus had righteous anger. It was called righteous indignation. Uh, when he saw people abusing the temple, whenever he saw those things, he was angry. But Jesus said, be angry and do not sin. Don't let anger control you. Don't let, it, don't let it ravish your life to the point where, where you lose everything around you. Because I know many people that have won the battle, but they've lost the war. I, 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 can, I can relate to that. I understand that. We all have an anger. We all have tempers. We all have fuses. I have a fuse, and fortunately, I don't light it too often. But my fuse, when it gets lit, it's a very short fuse. So I try never to get around. I try to never let that thing get lit. But when it does, man, it's like, woo, it goes. And maybe you have a longer fuse. Listen, we've got to control this. We've got to bring it under the, the power and the subjection of Jesus Christ. The emotional response of anger. I want you to think about that because we all respond differently in anger. As men, I think we tend to respond with, the, with our, we get angry and we think that we don't have emotions. But let me tell you, anger is our biggest emotion. And we respond typically with an action. Well, he did that. Well, let me show him. I lost that bet. I'm going to go kill 30 men. That's how Samson responded. I think for women, sometimes women tend to talk about it a little bit more. You know, I mean, maybe maybe a woman would say, oh, I'll just invite a few girlfriends over for tea and, and just talk about what's bugging them, you know. But I'm going to share with you as a man. I have never invited anybody over for tea, yet alone when I'm angry, okay? Uh, we, we, that's just, that's not in our DNA. It's not how God made us, right? We respond. But where we have to do is we have to put in the power of the Holy Spirit before that response and let him guide us, let him control us. Samson's life could have been uh, a whole different story. So Samson's, Samson loses his family, and now, now he comes back here. And uh, look at how he continues in. I'm going to jump ahead to Judges 15.4. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them, tied them tail to tail in pairs. In pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of the tails. I want you to think what a bad dude this guy was. I mean, he was strong to go, to go hunt down 300 ta- foxes, wild foxes, and tie them two by two by their tail. 
Then he puts a torch on him. Verse, verse five. He lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing ground, let them loose in the standing ground of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards of the olive groves. So the, these foxes, they're two by two. Now just imagine the agitation of the fox as they're tied together. And now they're lit on fire. And now these foxes are running on fire. They're going through the cornfields. They're going through all the crops. And one, as one commentator said, it is as if, though, there was writing in the crops that said Samson was here. And now Samson has left his mark. And in anger, he's just firing them up. This retaliation back and forth, back and forth. He's retaliating because they took and gave his wife away. You see, he lost the bet. He kills 30 men. He goes running home to dad. He's mad. His anger. He's cut off the relationship. He comes back to pick up the relationship, and the relationship isn't there anymore. Daddy gave her away. He is mad. 300 foxes burning down the fields. Verse 6, when the Philistines asked, who did this? They were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Do you see what anger does? Back and forth, back and forth. Jump down to verse 14. Look what, look what he continues to do. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So here we go again. He had, been, he had went back to Israel, and the Israelites said, you know what, we're not going to fight for you. As a matter of fact, they're going to find you, and they might think th to take it out on us. They're, they're our oppressors. So we're going to tie you up, and we're going to throw you back to the enemy. And he even says, Samson says, well, please, just don't fight against me. And they're like, oh, we won't fight against you, but we're not going to fight with you. So he throw, they throw him out there. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The ropes of his arms, so they had bound him. The ropes became like charred flax. The bindings dropped from his hands. This is the strongest man in the world. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it, and he struck down a thousand men. A thousand men. He took the jawbone of a donkey and single-handedly kills a thousand men. Let me talk about some power. You want to talk about some strength. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. You see, God said that Samson would deliver, begin the, begin the delivery of the people from the Philistines. God was saying, Samson, you know, it's like watching your kids make a mistake. You just sit there and you shake your head and say, what? Did, did you really? What? And God's looking down from heaven saying, Samson, Here's my power one more time. And so God keeps his mission and, and throws his power on them. Then Samson with a donkey's jaw, then, then, he, then he kills a, a thousand men. Verse 16, then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made a heap or two. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. With a donkey's jawbone, I've made a heap or two. The Hebrew word there for heap is, uh, sounds very similar to donkey. So what it was, it was a play on words. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And then the next verse, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. He was done talking. He says, ha! He tosses the jawbone. 
This guy is strong. This guy is incredible. He's got the power of the Lord upon him. I'd like to share with you a little bit about anger. You're thinking about anger. As we look here, here's a few thoughts on anger. Some things that you're probably not thinking about anger. Number one, when we think about anger, I want, you to, I want you to consider this, that anger, and we'll put the first one up there, that anger is addictive. Uh, you know, there, it, it's a great high to have people cowering to you. And so when, when people are afraid of you, of your power, of, of how you are, it's very addictive. And so what we have to do is we have to come and we have to bring this under the subjection of God. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, uh, the, the, the Lord said, Why do you look so dejected? We will be accepted if we do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Wow. Anger. We have anger. We deal with anger. When we have these bursts of anger, anger can be addictive. Maybe you've heard of Bobby Knight, one of the greatest basketball coaches to ever live. Bobby Knight probably won't be remembered for his great defense and offensive plans. He'd be remembered for kicking chairs and expletives to his team. He had, he had power. He had, he had anger, and he didn't know how to deal with it. You look up online, Bobby Knight, and just see some of the quotes that he said. It's just really incredible, a man filled with anger. Anger must be intensified. Listen, if it's going to be effective, you're going to use it as a weapon, you have to keep getting intensified. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Think with me about uh, the Honeymooners. Now, if you're under 40 years old, the Honeymooners was a TV series back in the 50s, all right? Jackie Gleason. You can go look it up. But one of the things that Jackie Gleason said, uh, Ralph crammed them in there, he said, you know, what, what did he say? One of these days, one of these days, pow, to the moon, right? And so, his wife's standing there in this clips, and you can find him on Google, and she's just rolling her eyes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And let me share this with you. If that happens in your house, it doesn't happen the way it did on the honeymooners. Why? Because that was scripted. And when anger blows up in your house, it blows up. And it is destructive. It can harm everything about you. Uh, there's collateral damage. I want you to think about damage that happens when, when I hurt people by the things that I say. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but names will hurt worse than anything else. When I'm a man of anger, when I'm exploding... I hurt people around me. I hurt everybody. And I end up hurting myself the most. When we were, in, uh, when, when we were fight, uh, fighting the Gulf War, I'll never forget that there were, there were these ships out in the ocean. And we could take a missile from out in the ocean. And we can go in and all the way down to a place where, where there was a, a building that where we knew that there was, and the enemy was. And we could bomb the building. But part of the collateral damage was not only did we bomb the building, but we took out some civilians around. And every now and then we missed the building. And we took out honest civilians, people that were innocent. This is what happens when we have our anger. Sometimes we get shrapnel. Our kids get shrapnel of anger in them. Our, the people around us have a, uh, shrapnel of anger. And it can take sometimes years to heal from that. 
Anger stunts your spiritual growth. It really will. Anger will stunt your spiritual growth. Jesus talked about anger. He said, be angry and do not sin. So there's a healthy anger, and then there's an unhealthy anger. And so healthy anger motivates us to do a positive action. Unhealthy anger motivates us to hurt people and to just win the war. You see, like I said earlier, many people have won the battle but lost the war. And that's what happens when we're in anger. We can, we can come in and we just blow up and we blow up and so many people are hurt around us. We need to attack our anger. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quickly hold it back. Fools vent their anger. You, you want to tell the sign of a fool? See somebody who's angry all the time. That's what the scripture says. They vent their anger quickly, but a wise person, a wise person, Psalm 29.11, a wise person quietly holds it back. I let God's word become your counselor. Let God's word become your counselor. If you're going to attack it, we've got to come to God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for correction. This is how we know right from wrong, is from God's word. We don't get right and wrong from the society, folks. Society doesn't know right from wrong. God will teach you right from wrong. So when you come to his word, he's going to teach you. He's going to equip you for a living. Um, start, with, start with the life of Jesus. Jesus had every reason to be mean, every reason to be angry. You look at the very last week of his life, and he was silent. He took the sacrifice for you. Lower your expectations on other people. Do you realize that Sometimes we're so angry because I've set an expectation on a family member, uh, a, a situation, a job, anything in life. I've set this expectation so high, and they can't meet that expectation. God set a standard that was pretty high. It was called perfection. And you and I couldn't meet it. So he gave us the Son of God. Jesus came and died on the cross and the anger of God Almighty was taken on to Jesus so that you could be set free. Lower your expectations of other people. Um, The scripture tells us here in Psalm 103, 13 and 14, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Learn the difference between a mountain and a molehill. If you're living life and everything's a mountain, you will never be happy. Never. You'll be angry all the time because everything's a trowel. Everything's so big. In the meantime, most of what you're angry about is a molehill. I like what Jesus said in, in Matthew 23, 24. He was, he was interacting with the, with the Pharisees. He says, you blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. But yet you swallow a camel. And this is what happens to us. We're, we get so nitpicky on life, nitpicky on everybody else. Nobody else can live up to my standard. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you forget you couldn't live up to his standard? And he loved you and provided a way so that you didn't have to take his anger. What an awesome God we have. What an awesome God that we serve. Resist the temptation to speculate. You know, how many times somebody come to you and maybe they, they're trying to give you a, a point of encouragement and you walk away and say, well, did they really mean that? Did they really mean that? You know, they tell, maybe they told you you could do your hair differently and you walk away saying, do they really think I'm bald? Do they really think I'm bald? Yeah, you, they, yeah, they probably do. 
It's okay. Listen, don't over-speculate. Don't over-speculate. Don't, don't, don't over-read over, over, uh, things into people. Philippians 4.8 says to fix your thoughts. This is how we correct anger. We fix our thoughts. My thoughts go to, they're no good. This is nasty. They could never do this right, da-da-da-da. And God says, fix your thoughts on the right things. These are just a few thoughts to help you. And there's so much more. Psalm, Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. It's better to be patient than powerful. But men, we all want the power, don't we? Don't we want to roar? We want, we want people to cower. God says, no, 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 no. It's better to be patient. It's better to be long-suffering. And it's better to win those relationships because you're going to let anger destroy your relationships. I want to encourage you this morning, learn to control your anger before your anger controls you. Learn to control your anger before your anger controls you. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to have victory in Jesus. He loves you. He cuts you. And maybe you're dealing with some anger. I think we all do from time to time. God wants to step in and let his spirit into your life to help you control that. And so today, I'm going to ask you, if you're a believer, you've been following Christ for some time, I'm going to ask you to surrender that anger to God. Um, take these steps. Let God speak into you. Learn, learn to understand who he is. Uh, look at life with the proper eyes. Look at the eyes of compassion that Jesus had. If we get what we deserve, we go to hell. But God says, I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'm giving you grace. And I did it through my own son, Jesus. So today, I'm going to ask you to respond. Would you just respond to the Lord and say, God, I need your strength in this area of anger. I have been out of control. God, speak to me. I need your strength. And others, today, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you. Would you respond to the Master? Would you say something like this to God? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I need you, God. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin because I couldn't live up to your standard of perfection. But you love me enough and paid that price for me at the cross. I invite you into my life right now. Father God, I pray you'll be with each person in here as we respond to you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the real-life examples, people, the history, real things that actually happened and that we can learn. Here we are, several thousand years later, we're still learning lessons from a man who made grave mistakes but who had the presence of God. And we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close our service. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, feel free to do so as we sing unto the Lord.